This is the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, Episode 2. I'm Joel Payne from Resound Worship. I'm Sam Hargreaves from EngageWorship.org. And this is a podcast to equip, train and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. Every episode we'll be dissecting a classic song, focusing on technique in the workshop and bringing you interviews with some of the finest worship songwriters around as well as responding to your tweets, Facebook messages and emails. Sam, it's really good to have you here in the flesh today. Thanks, mate. That's good. I'm I'm afraid I brought some man flu into proceedings. I thought you'd been working on your deep radio voice. This is my deep deep Kendrick voice (laughs) that I've been practising. No, I was in bed for lots of the day yesterday, but today I had to get up and do this. I couldn't miss this opportunity. So if it kind of all gives way halfway through, you just... You just, just carry take on. over. Yeah. I do sign language. Step over your body and it will be fine. And what have you been up to, Sam? You're over in the UK? Yeah, we had that great worship songwriting um, weekend last weekend at London School of Theology. Uh, me and Geraldine Luce teaching and Graham came and we uh, interviewed him for the podcast. We're going to be hearing that later. Um, but yeah, it was a fantastic weekend. Great students at LST and also some guests from outside coming in. Lots of creative stuff going on. Um, and one thing that I wanted to, to share was um, right at the end, we were praying for each other and worshipping and had this little word from God about um, the, the scripture where it says God gives good gifts to his children. I was sort of praying that over the students. And then I was really struck by this sense of God saying, yeah, and I give you these good gifts and all I want you to do is play with them. Hmm. Uh, and I was reminded that that morning I'd given some little birthday gifts to a three-year-old and a five-year-old um, f- friend's children. And um, they turned off the TV. Uh, it was like a drawing pad and some stickers on like little dolls. And I didn't really think, I thought they would probably watch, keep watching TV. But they put, you know, put everything down, got to the table, uh, started drawing and stickering. And the youngest one started cracking up because she put, um, instead of eyes, she put cucumbers. And she was like, <laughs> cucumber eyes just like rolling around on the floor and their creativity was amazing and it was a delight to me to see what they created out of what I gave them I didn't have any expectations of them I just gave them these fairly you know basic gifts but they they ran with it and I got this really deep sense that that's kind of God's heart for us with our songwriting gifts it's not that he gives us gifts and then says right Joel you must now produce the most amazing thing in the world yeah it's more that he says play with this, delight in it, uh, enjoy what I've given you and, and be creative with it. And that's, you know, that's hard. And it relieves the pressure, doesn't it? I I certainly, when I'm writing, get, you know, I I try to get really grown up about it. I've got to do this properly. I've got to do it right. I've got to produce something. And that's a totally different perspective that you're talking about. Yeah. So what have you been up to, Joel? Uh, I've been mixing a couple of uh, new songs. One of your new ones, Sam, which I think uh, I really like. So, um, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a good job, and um, I'm looking forward to getting it out there. And another one that was written by one of the guys on um, who actually came to our songwriting retreat. So oh, it's cool. really fantastic. You know, we worked on it together. Um, and again, looking forward to getting that out there for the rest of the world. It takes a little while to get it all sorted. Um, I've also taken a booking. To, I'm going to go and speak at Wydale, where we had our mm. um, songwriting retreat last year. We've got another one coming next year, uh, 26th of June, I think. And um, But sometime next autumn, so it's way ahead. But there's a sort of a, a gather together and learn Vivaldi's Gloria and sing it in the evening. And in between uh, rehearsals, I'm going to do a bit of speaking about what it's all about. So I'm looking wow. forward to that. Yeah. I'm not an expert on it, but uh, that sounds like a great opportunity. And the other just really cool thing has been... Um, 
the Christmas concert pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't believe we've sold two to people on the shores of Lake Erie in wow. Canada. Isn't that superb? That's awesome. So it's been really cool seeing that go around the world, Australia, UK. Um, yeah, really good. So uh, so we look at some correspondence. Mm. So we have, I says, thank you for getting in touch, those of you who did. Um, people picked up on the Hartley Herald we talked about last time. Yeah. And a couple of people got in touch, Linda in Cape Town and Matt in Suffolk, both talking about... Paul Belosh has done a, a version mm. of Hark the Herald where he's added a chorus to it. And yeah. um, it, it is, it's great. It, it is a sort of classic Paul Belosh, mm. uh, everything he touches turns to gold kind of chorus. He's just so yeah. good at writing good. singable tunes, isn't he? Um, and it's really, it's great, really catchy. And the way he stripped down the chords in the verses as well. So yeah, we agree. Nice stuff. Um, and also we've got this lovely message on um, Facebook from Stuart in Derbyshire, didn't we, Sam? Oh, that's encouraging. He, yeah, he said that his son had woken up, his six-year-old son had woken up singing Come Be Thankful People Come, or singing the chorus from it. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. I I appreciate the way that that was, it was written as an all-age song, genuinely thinking, hoping that adults and children would both like it, and it does seem to have worked on that level. Yeah, cool. And we also heard from Kieran in Cheshire. Don't you might know this Kieran. I don't know whether he might be our web guy. <laughs> but he was suggesting that at some point in the future we do a live video cast with an interviewee and um, so on. So Okay. Might want a lot more makeup before people actually want to see our faces. Yeah, that's probably a good idea actually. It might that might break the budget. So let's move on to Dissect a Classic. And this week, uh, forging our path through the CCLI Top 25 and other such classics, we are on Light of the World, or Here I Am to Worship by Tim Hughes. Uh, It's interesting. So I uh, did a bit of research, as I like to do. Um, I found a great interview, actually, on the CCLI website um, with Tim Hughes talking about it um, it's fascinating actually when I first went to go and grab the words I went to the Kings well it's not Kingsway now is it We Are Worship went to the We Are Worship website I thought I'll just get a copy of the words so I can have a look through it, and you've got a choice of 20 languages wow so that's a that's a sign of a song that's gone far and wide isn't it and I some interesting things I picked up on this song the first is I mean Tim was pretty young when he wrote it so he was still at university mm. and um, he says it took about a year to write and that it came from reflecting on Jesus' humility in Philippians 2 um, and apparently the second verse no hang on Light of the World you said it was originally his second verse so I don't oh. know what his first verse was kind wow. of, but that, I think that's interesting that happens to me quite a bit actually mm. it's usually by the time you get to the second verse you know what the song's about and you start writing well isn't it yeah um, so he had those verses and they were kicking around he wasn't sure what to do with them and he couldn't find a chorus and then um, one day he was kind of re-inspired and went back and listened to some old melodies that he had on tape do you remember tape Sam? Do yeah, a little dictaphone he had, and just basically where he used to just sing some melodies in and leave them, and keep you know at some point go back and have a listen through. Is there anything useful? And he found this one, wrote the chorus, and then he says that he played it to his good friend Matt Redman. Yeah, who said, "Yeah, maybe you could use that chorus as a tag somewhere." Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so he thought, "All right, forget that. Then I'll just get rid of it." And it wasn't until he was just at um, church singing it in a ministry time, and Mike Pilavachi heard it and said, "What is that song?" We've got to sing it every week. Yeah. And the, so that's pretty much, the, much what they then did. And I think then churches all over the world then did as well, just singing it every week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's a, it's a it's definitely a modern classic. Um, and we're just going to pull out a few reasons why, why we think it works, what's good about it. So I'm going to kick off. Um, 
I think it has it has that classic formula of revelation and response. So the verses are definitely about Jesus, mm. like the it's about what he's done, about who he is, and so on. And then the uh, the chorus is definitely our response. It's very yeah. clear the way it's yeah. kind of marked out. That's it. Or I think Mark Redman sometimes puts it like this: this kind of inhale in the verses and you exhale in yeah. the chorus, and just how well that works. And I also think the way. Uh, Tim keeps his his imagery and his metaphors really consistent. So the first verse is all about light, mm. um, light of the world. Uh, it's got darkness. It's got eyes. It's about seeing beauty. It says it's all that kind of that visual metaphor. Yeah. And the second verse is all about kingship and riches and poverty and humility. Um, so that, I think that, that's sort of the first thing I'd pick out that makes it work. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing is quite uh, fresh in that it talks about essentially the incarnation of Christ which uh, is a you know deep theological idea mm. but it does it in a completely accessible way um, and much of our worship songs um, oh that'll be my son hello uh, background. <laughs> I think um, he's okay everyone <laughs> <laughs> much of our worship songs uh, talk about Jesus either uh, dying on the cross, being res- resurrected, or in his kind of reigning in glory, you're high above the heavens, yeah. you're at the right hand of God. And actually to talk about you came, um, not in a super Christmassy way, but you came, you were one of us, you came, you became poor. Uh, so to that, that kind of theme is actually quite fresh and mm. it's relatable for us as well because, you know, we are human beings mm. and there's such an amazing truth that, you know, Jesus became one of us um, and so we're attracted to that, I think, because we we like that idea that yeah, actually Jesus, you know, became poor like yeah. me. Um, I think I think that's that's a really attractive theme. Yeah, it sort of it said something we kind of needed to say, didn't it, mm. as a song? And that's one of the reasons, surely, why it's, it really took off. Uh, musically, it's a really it's ever so simple actually. Musically, mm. and one thing that's quite striking about it is it has a really narrow range in mm. terms of the chorus is pretty much at the same pitch as the verse. Uh, the middle eight is at the same pitch again and what that means is it's singable for absolutely everybody there are no there are no complicated rhythms Um, there are not many notes and it means every congregation from the person from the youngest to the oldest from traditional to modern and so Mm. on can actually get hold of this because it's a a really steady tune uh, and it's in a singable range for the whole lot and it's really easy as a songwriter to write something which takes full advantage of your own vocal range but oh, doesn't yeah. account for the fact that actually if you're going to grab everyone you've got to go more narrow haven't you yeah i agree the other thing i've noticed about it is that it starts on the third of the scale yeah so if you're playing it in e that would be the g sharp and the third if people know about chords they'll know that the third is what defines whether a chord is major or minor mm. so by singing that g sharp uh you are really confirming yes this is safe this is secure this is major it's positive um i think it's in the book god songs uh by um paul belosh and jimmy and carol owens they they actually highlight how many of the top whatever it is 100 ccl songs do start on the third or uh, have the third as a major part of the opening phrase so there's something secure about it and what what they point out is that if you want that security then you might want to you know follow that convention in a song yeah. but also if you don't you yeah. might want to intentionally move away from it but 
yeah. I think certainly with this song, it's and the, the chorus as well doesn't da 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 worship. That's the third as well. Yeah. So where you land in the chorus, it just gives people for some you know reason a, a sense of yes, I know where I am. I know yeah. where this song's going. And the, and the, the I can't I can't <laughs> sing in tune because of my voice. You're my God. It, yeah. It lands on the tonic. Boom, yeah. That's the absolute landing note is God, and mm. there's a really there's something really solid, isn't there about that? Mm. Um, I thought it was interesting that the, the, the interview I watched, the guy asked Tim why, you know, what do you think makes this, why has this been so popular around the world? And and actually he says he doesn't really know. He said, it must be the spirit. I don't know because mm. he said, you know, I feel like I've written better songs or at mm. the time I thought I had better songs. I, don't, I wasn't even sure this one was very good. Yeah. I don't know why it took off. And it, that makes me think a lot about how as... As songwriters, I feel like we could sometimes strive after the great song, this magic song. And actually, a lot of that is out of our hands. What we can do is take responsibility for writing a good song. So we can can take the thing we're doing and write it to the very best we can. And that means using good technique and Mm. crafting it and taking time and so on. Will that mean it's a great song that travels the world? Or will it mean it even makes it into my my church or my small group it, it might not it might be that I just write I've written it I've done a good job yeah. and now I leave it but another time I've written it I do a good job and wow for some reason mm. it must be that God gets hold of it because I you know I didn't put anything extra special into it that's just that's just what happened mm. um, so we've extolled its virtues definitely a classic yeah um, but as every time we want to look at the songs and you know just say what well, you know if, <laughs> if Tim had brought it to us instead of Matt Redman <laughs> um, would we have been more encouraging and are there bits in it where you say do you know what I think this could be a bit stronger or um, what do you think Sam have you got any suggestions yeah the, the one thing I think is this word lovely in the chorus which I think has been uh, discussed in other places and there's sort of arguments about masculinity and femininity and yeah. whether lads are put off I personally I'm not so convinced about some of those arguments but I just think that lovely is not the best word there. Yeah. Um, I think he means either loving yeah. or lovable. Like, yeah. you're easy to love, you're worthy of love, or you show yeah. us love. I'm not quite sure. It's, it's fairly ambiguous. But I think that lovely, you think of, you know, a lovely cup of tea or your lovely grandma. It's yeah. just too cosy <laughs> um, a word for oh that's lovely oh yeah exactly yeah um and it's such a strong you know if it had been you know halfway through the second verse you probably would have got away with it but you know the third line of the chorus is such a key line yeah. for any song so to to, to really let you all together love yeah it for me it it's not quite so i it I, actually sings really well doesn't mm, it yeah and, and that's part of what makes it work yeah nice open vowel and I'm sure you know many many people have not noticed at all yeah but I think there is an I would say there's enough people who have noticed that Mm. that you know not I'm not saying it should be rewritten but as we move on with writing worship songs maybe let's be thinking about some of these words and whether we've really um, Geraldine used the phrase um, at the songwriting intensive she chases down lyrics. Right, yeah. And I really like that idea that you're chasing down what is the absolute best word here and sometimes taking a little bit more time to chase down you know, is lovely quite the best word in this context and, you know. Yeah, 
No, that's fair enough. And it's I, it's important to say, isn't it? We're, we're kind of we're recognizing this is a classic, aren't we? Um, clearly, it were you know clearly it's a it's a fantastic song. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't look back at it and see a, a couple of bits and think you know that that bit could have been a bit stronger. Yeah. You know, with hindsight, I sort of think there's a there's a the bit at the end of the the bridge, isn't there? Um, I'll never know how much it costs you see the car. See my sin upon the cross, and you're not quite sure whether to go cross or cross or uh-huh. to result because it doesn't sit on the chord, right? And that's you sort of get a blurred note from lots of people there, yeah. And that's one where I think again, just sing it through with a bunch of people and, mm. and hear, uh, oh, where, you know, where should we land? Mm. And then you you pick. Uh, I often say the congregation is always right, and basically yeah. sing it with them and see what note they land on. Um, you know, maybe he did do that, but that, that would be. I think that would be the particular thing, just a bit of melody, which actually, is, it's it's nice because it's interrupted, mm. um, but actually you're asking congregation to sing it, aren't you? So there you have it. That is Light of the World, dissected by Joel Payne and Sam Hargreaves. Let's move on to the workshop. And this week in the workshop, we're going to talk about collaboration. This is dear to our hearts in Razan because this is really this is how we write songs. And um, Sam, why don't you just kick us off by give us a sort of answer? What do we mean by collaboration? Yeah, we mean allowing other people to critique and have input. And I think what's worth saying, and I think Graham mentions this in the interview. Um, is the difference between a co-write and collaboration. So there is a convention, I think, um, particularly in Nashville, and it's, it's kind of gone around the world, where if you uh, you would say, if anybody is in the room when the song is written, yeah. they get a co-writing credit. Yeah. Um, and this is why on a lot of songs you'll see quite a few names nowadays, even if one person actually only contributed one chord or one word or whatever. But actually they'll get a, an equal co-writing credit. Whereas for us, we've always said... This is about essentially one person having the idea, fleshing it out, um, taking final decisions on the song. But the collaboration process is about bringing it to people and saying, could you sing this through with me? Could you give suggestions? Could you bring critique? Um, and in that sense, we we encourage um, the writer to be the one who ultimately hold, you know, listens to all the ideas yeah. holds them you know fairly lightly and, yeah. and tries them out and then they make the decision yeah um but it's so so helpful because you know as much as you um i think it was um who's the horror writer stephen king <laughs> what are you gonna say he's a uh, matt Osborne. <laughs> <laughs> who writes that <laughs> yeah some people might have described me as a horror writer <laughs> no uh, stephen king um the author he had this uh line i read about um write with the door closed and rewrite with the door open. Okay. I think that's really yeah. helpful. It's like, actually, this is... And and part of the collaboration... Stephen King. I would have thought rewrite with the lights on as well. Because <laughs> you might be pretty scared by that stage. Yeah, it's true, yeah. That's true. Yeah, it's definitely... Uh, it's made such a difference to us, hasn't it, mm. writing? And so, so a lot of these... We've got a few ideas here about how you can do it. And they come from our experience, largely, about initially gathering together and just having a go at this, didn't we? Yeah. We weren't necessarily very good at it at first. And one of the f- things we learned early on and this is my first point is sing along Mm. so these are songs to be sung so you bring your song to the group and the first thing it's really good you know have a copy of the words for everyone Mm. and just get them as soon as they've got any kind of handle on the tune to start singing along because 
songs are to be sung, not listened to. And you immediately can tell mm. when you start singing, is this working? You know, you hear the bits where everyone gets confused or the bits where they get hold of it. You get a sense of what it's like. And if in your small critiquing group you can sing it and it really works, then you mm. know it will work mm. in your home group, in your church and in your stadium. Yeah. Uh, but actually if what you have to do is bring along a whole rock band just yeah. to demo your song, you've got no sense of whether it's much more hard to tell. Does it sing? Yeah, I agree. I think the the second thing that I would say is um, in terms of giving critique, uh, I like to talk about a critique sandwich. Yeah. So, we all know that as writers, we are vulnerable. Uh, we can easily get hurt, easily get discouraged. But um, one way to, to sort of start to get around that is to start with something positive in your critique sandwich. Yeah. And and all these points, be as specific as possible. Mm. So there's nothing worse that someone says, oh, I like your song. You know, it's lovely. Yeah. Um, and you don't really know what that means. Yeah. Whereas if I if I say to you, Joel, I really like the fact that your new song has this theme because that theme is really unusual or yeah. it's really needed or, Joel, I think your chorus is just bang on. Immediately you get that person on side and you're yeah. encouraging them. Yeah. Then in the middle you can put in some, um, some constructive critique. Again, be as specific as possible. So I don't like this song. <laughs> it's not really very helpful because yeah. there's a whole yeah. load of different ways you could possibly not like the song. Yeah. Um, but if I can say to you, actually, I feel that your, your verses lyrically are not as strong as the chorus. Yeah. And, and then the other thing that I will do in that, and I, I think is helpful and the other guys in Resound do as well is be, uh, is to give ideas. Yeah. Not necessarily, again, this isn't a co-writing process. This is just a, well, have you thought about this? Yeah. You know, have you thought about... You know, maybe those um, every other line. If you took off the last two syllables, there'd be more space to breathe. Or if you wiggled the um, wiggled the order of the the rhyme scheme around, yeah. So it goes A A B B rather than A B A B. Um, things like that. Being specific and yeah. almost just sometimes almost playing devil's advocate with the writer. Yeah. In saying, well, have you tried this? Have yeah. you tried that? Not necessarily that you want them to, to do all that, you know, you think that they'll be perfect. Yeah. Uh, and then, sorry, just to say the end of the critique sandwich is to make sure you put the final bit of encouragement yeah, yeah. on. So, you know, so, but having said all that, I really think, you know, there's some, this is a strong thing here. Yeah. So, um, I really liked that uh, point that you gave, Sam. It was a bit boring in the middle, but, but your hair looks great today. Thanks, man. Thank you. See, it's I feel right. affirmed. Uh, it's, that, that brings me on, actually, to the other part, which is the writer's part in it, because it's interesting that you try to be specific, but people can't always quite articulate what it is. Cause it, sometimes mm. it's hard to, uh, to articulate. You just say, I just don't think that bit works. And you say, uh, I think it's because the melody, or I think it's because the words, or I think it's because the... And sometimes it's it's hard to pin down and as a writer what you've got to do is receive that stuff and and accept that sometimes people are just giving you their sort of first yeah they haven't had a long time to think about it and and they can't necessarily articulate what it is they're seeing and you need to go away and think about that and what is difficult in critique groups is is a if a writer brings a really if you just bring a super polished song mm. that you don't really want you think it's fantastic you don't really want anyone to touch then it kills the dynamic yeah because uh, you won't be open to what people have to say but also secondly if you always 
argue back. Mm. You've got to just receive suggestions. Because if you always argue back, then people won't want to critique you. Yeah. Because I thought, oh, goodness, it's hard. I want to say this, but I know I'm going to get, <laughs> I'm going to get an essay back and it's not what I want yeah. to hear. Um, you need, you need to, it's good to discuss, but to have, to actually accept that sometimes actually you've got to receive it and just take it away. And they might be right and they might be wrong. Or, and this is my experience a lot of the time, they've shown me that it's not as strong as it can be. Yeah. And it may be quite often the suggestions they make aren't what I would do because there's a voice to a song, isn't there? Yeah. And someone gives you their voice yeah. to add and it, you need to rework it into your voice. But it's shown me I need to go away and work on that section and I'm going to I'm gonna bring it back stronger. Yeah. There is a danger, isn't there? I've, I've seen people take on board almost verbatim all the suggestions they've been given. Yeah. And then they get a month or two down the line and they say, oh, it doesn't really fill my, my song anymore. Yeah. And so I think they've only partly done that process yeah. that you've talked about. They've they've taken on board people's ideas, but they've not really made it in their own voice. They've not kind of wrestled with them and no. yeah, made sense of them. And that is, and I guess that brings us on to that, to the fourth point, which is, which I've put here, is it's usually not over in one session. Mm. You, you hear about these, and this is, again, perhaps difference between co-writing and collaboration, but you hear about these, um, you know, Nashville, we went in the room, went in the studio for a day and we wrote six songs. Yeah. And I just think, how on earth do you do that? Because <laughs> who had the time to reflect yeah. and pray and uh, work and hone and think and, mm. and so on and and live with, with the song? Now, maybe the, what they mean is then we all went away and we lived with them and we, we came back. But I think that's so important for this process of collaboration. It's not a one-off. Don't just get some thoughts, take them away, brilliant, sorted, my song's written. Yeah. And and it it reflect it's good for different personalities as well, isn't it? It's sort of do the face to face bit, do the interactive bit, but then go away and work on it yourself, mm. and then come back to another session and say, okay, this yeah. is where I've got to. And what's really nice then is that if the guys have been involved in it, they start to say, oh yeah, I remember yeah. that, I really like that bit, and mm. great job there. Still not sure about this, mm. um, and all you're doing is you're kind of gradually sort of batting it around to just get it onto that yeah. that path to wherever it's going. Yeah, I don't know what you think about this, Joel, but I'm imagining people are listening. And saying, "Oh, I wish I had a critique group." Yeah. Uh, um, and all that we're saying, I think, well, I'm I'm very much isolated where I am. I don't know any other writers. Um, so I'd be interested to to know what you think those kind of people could do. But one thing I would say is, don't only think that other songwriters are the people who could critique your work. Yeah. And certainly, um, I know people like Graham Kendrick, and we do a similar thing. Um, we certainly have in the past where we've taking it to pastors or theologians yeah. um, and also take it to sort of ordinary, not very musical people in your yeah. home group or your friends. Um, it can be frustrating because yeah. they're not necessarily so good at doing the specific thing. Yeah. They might say, well, I do sort of like yeah. it or I don't. But um, I would say just because you haven't got another songwriter necessarily close to hand, doesn't mean that you can't get useful critique. But yeah. having said that, uh, I would also limit the sphere of your critique. Yeah. So probably I wouldn't suggest playing a song to your whole church and then having a kind of free-for-all of critique in the coffee time afterwards where people yeah, get yeah. to kind of throw yeah, things at you. Everybody can fill in a form. <laughs> yeah. And you can, yeah. Um, yeah, that would probably be discouraging. So I would say have a, a sort of a, a, a finite group of yeah. people who you listen to, you know they're for you, um, and they're bringing some insights from different angles. And sort of set, and set the expectations for your critique group, because if what you're doing is you're gathering thinking, we're going to do this, and then brilliant, we'll have a, a song for X, Y, and you know, I'll use it here, I'll do mm. that. 
or to actually say this group is just about making whatever we're working on the best it can be yeah and actually that means I can have a range of abilities mm. people in different places in life and so on we come together and we write and sometimes you know something brilliant will come out but a lot of the time it's just about learning together and helping each other learn so I know Ben one of our writers mm. is starting meeting with a group of guys near where he is yeah um and they, their expectations are, I might just write, you know, I might work on this. And then it still just becomes my song to sing to Jesus. Mm. Um, or it might really speak into my church situation. Or, but, that, you know, that's the, the basic expectation is which this is just about getting better as songwriters. And yeah. basically we we started this by getting together and having yeah. a go, didn't we? I mean, yeah. there was, and, and learning as we went. So you really can do it anywhere. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's the end of the workshop. And it just gives us time for the first half of our interview. As Sam, you've been off and interviewed the godfather of modern worship, <laughs> as we keep giving him new names, uh, Graham Kendrick. So, and I've had to listen to it. We're going to listen to the first half of the interview. Great. Graham, it's lovely to have you with us. <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to ask you, I was looking at your website today and just was amazed at the amount of songs that are on there. <laughs> and you're somebody who... If I need a song in a gap, I think I bet Graham's written a song for that. Mm-hmm. And then there's this whole, I mean, there's just so much other new material as well. And you can, you know, spend hours looking at new songs. Mm. Do we still need people to write new songs? <laughs> <laughs> can we just live with what we've already got? Um, do we need? <laughs> there are certainly a lot of songs and that has its own problems because you know as somebody once said in the day of hymn books a church had 250 songs that everybody knew mm. it's just that you probably stuck with them for 25 years till the next hymn book edition mm. but now we've got 250,000 songs that nobody knows <laughs> <laughs> doesn't know very well yes. <laughs> um, so th- there are problems with it but I I, I think it ought to be an overflow um, of mm. life you know I mean that's where the best stuff comes from isn't it you know the, the Wesley brothers um, get born again you mm. know mm. and Charles Wesley in, in no time at all is writing over a thousand tongues to yeah. sing my great you know yeah. and it's not just it's the, the poetry just floods forth mm. because of the experience mm. and uh, um, you know so I, I think we need all those things coming together, don't we? Because he was, you know, they were skilled, educated people. They were theologically aware. Mm-hmm. Um, they were bright. They're obviously very talented, particularly Charles in the in in a poetic thing. Um, they lived in a particular age, of course, where you know the poetry and the spoke written word and spoken word was really highly mm-hmm. valued. But if it hadn't been for that. Um, uh, renewal of mm-hmm. faith mm-hmm. and and of the Holy Spirit then it, it, it would have remained very dry and, and yeah. intellectual, which his stuff was before that mm. occasion. Yeah. So what am I trying to say? Well, I'm saying we, we actually, we need, we need uh, more of a certain kind of stuff, <laughs> let's yeah. say, let's say, because, you know, so, so many people are writing songs and that's good. It's a great thing to do it. And, and it's great for any, anybody who, who can remotely write a song to give expression to what they've got. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean that all those songs are going to be suitable for, for the church to, you know, yeah. to, to sing. Um, Is that part of your story as well? In, in that, that there was a move of God, perhaps, when you were starting, that was almost like an equivalent of the... 
There was that. Yes, there was. And and you know, I mean, there are many moves of God at many different sort of times. And uh, I guess what I was caught up with was um, this kind of renewal of the spirit movement. Mm. People give it different names, but basically, you know, there was people random places around the world who were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were a generation, you know, a little bit before me, who had to kind of search the ends of the earth to find anywhere yeah. where they could actually get filled with the Holy Spirit. And now, you know, it's just like, oh, that, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it was a rare thing yeah. um, for many people. It's obviously, there's certain denominations which, which uh, you know, had a lot of that going on. But... So um, and then, as this grew, and it wasn't a it wasn't a worship movement in the musical sense. It really was a boy. We need to experience God in the spirit. Mm. You know, it was more of a filling with the spirit experience. And then all that came with that mm. was the kind of um, desire to recover early church, um, what the early church was all about, and the gifts of the spirit and. Can they, are they for today? And you know the charismatic, the charismata, mm. and so on. So, but as that happened, of course, what happens if people get filled with the Spirit? Then the Holy Spirit gives glory to the Father and the Son, and worship just explodes. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. And that I was a hungry young guy of twenty or so, a student, a student teacher. Um, brought up in a church uh, with very good Bible teaching and great hymnology, Baptist hymn book. Mm. I had a, a real faith since my childhood, but there was no fire. Mm. There was no spirit. Um, and uh, I'd been writing songs for a while. But when I was had that experience of being filled with the spirit in a deep way than ever before, it immediately... Uh, brought forth worship you know it, and the way I sort of remember it is like previously I love to worship God and sing hymns heartily but now the Holy Spirit was yeah. stirring up in me wanting yeah. to bring forth stuff that I didn't even know how to express mm. you know um, and uh, and I do trace back the kind of the songwriting of a the overflow kind if you yeah, like yeah. to those times um, so I think it's always true that when God moves and, and people get filled with the Spirit and start to discover, you know, the Word of God comes alive, then there will be creativity of all, mm. of all, of all kinds. Mm. Yeah. So what would you like to see today in the songs that are coming out? You know, we've got <clears throat> two and a half million songs or whatever, but <laughs> what what would you like to see? Is it is it another move of God in that way, or is it what? What? What are you hungry for now? Do you know? I I think it's it's a, there's a real mixture of stuff going on, and as always, culture is always mixed up mm. in stuff. And if there's a move of God, it happens within a certain culture, mm. and and you know a lot of the battle is is with that culture and how much of that culture can be baptized, as yeah. it were, yeah. and how much of it actually becomes too dominant and starts to dominate the realities of, of, of the gospel. So, I mean, we live in a very creative age. The singer-songwriter is king and queen, mm -hmm. you know, um, personal expression, um, authenticity, mm -hmm. emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, there's amazing creativity of all kinds. I'm not just talking about the Christian world, but, you know, the 
what we call the secular the the, the secular world. Um, what what I perhaps predictably, uh, people know my um, songs and so on. What I really long for is that we can combine that uh, sort of ecstatic mm. um, expression, that authentic, straight from the heart, with the word of God. Yeah, you know, word and spirit. That's yeah. always been the dynamic um, combination that we need. Um, because I think there's a great danger in this great outpouring of, of passionate heart worship is that we, uh, we put a lower value on um, the, the content of, mm. of the worship. Yeah. You know, the early church songs, I mean, there's, you know, there's quite a lot of um, uh, sections of the New Testament which... Uh, come across like songs they're like finely crafted mm. lyrics mm. whether they were sung or not no, don't know but yeah. you know the, there is uh, there was uh, passages there like at the beginning of, of um, like in Philippians yeah, yeah. you know um, about Christ being becoming a, a servant obedient unto death and so on that's a that's a, a, a package of sort of poetic theology mm. that may well have been a him, I mean, I think scholars argue over it, but it's yeah. certainly one of those things which you can easily imagine that people would memorize. Mm. But all these are very Christological, they're yeah. very much right at the heart of the story, which is God coming mm. to earth in a, in a his, historical time and space mm. event. Mm. Now, I think what's happening is um, that the personal experience. Has kind of is start is in danger of overwhelming yeah. that historical reality and mm. root, because you know if it wasn't for the historical, the the event the intervention of God in time and space and history in a certain place and time, way back then, you know Nazareth Jerusalem, um, we'd have no gospel, mm. and the you know when you, when Paul I think it's one Corinthians fifteen he starts to talk about. Um, the, the most important things. And he basically retells the story. Mm. And, and it's Christ coming in the flesh yeah, yeah, yeah. and rising from the dead. Yeah. So, and it's not that we don't sing about those things, but um, subjective experience, if subjective experience uh, becomes, you know, dominant over those, that story, yeah, historical yeah. story, I think we are in danger of getting into, into trouble. Yeah. There's something John Whitfleet said when he came to America. Do you know American? Yes, yes. And he was saying, um, worship is both expression and formation. Yes. And in the charismatic and sort of modern worship thing, it's all about expression. And we forget that we're also being formed in some way. Mm-hmm. I think that's what your songs do so well, is they do both. You know, you, you have that content. And you have that mm. truth and the story of Christ, and then you have the expression as well of, mm. and so I say, I love you and hallelujah. Mm. Mm. I always think of it as you know, it's, it's very simple. Two words beginning with R: revelation and response. Yes, yeah. You know, that's good. Bit, yeah. um, so you know, a song needs to, um, put, you know, set out something of the revelation of God in Christ, the gospel. And then allow us to respond to that mm. truth because we have, you know, as a result of us embracing that truth and it, and it's 
um, being the means by which we actually experience God. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think your songs do that really well. Um, could you tell us about a recent song, just kind of getting more into the craft bit? This is for songwriters. Oh. Is there a recent song where you could give us a bit of the where the inspiration was and then also how you took that inspiration and developed the song and then it becoming finished? Is there anything? <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, the type Graham is shaking his head. I could, um, uh, yeah, one fairly recent one. Um, that uh, and actually you know it's one that you can listen to on online as a co-write but it didn't start off that way um year and literally years and years ago and this song got finished maybe two years ago okay. uh, but possibly as many as 10 years ago i don't know i came um uh, across a line something to the effect of my worth is not in what i own mm-hmm. and um and i remember writing it down and um and thinking, okay, there's a, there's a song in there somewhere, you know? Uh, because in a very materialistic age, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, we, we do value people according to what they have. Um, and I remember playing around with that idea, and I've, you know, I've, I've still got a few um, in my work tapes, whatever mm. you call them, um, work files um, with me playing around, trying to turn that into a song. Yeah. And... Um, uh, and I sort of developed it. And what I tend to do very often is to um, uh, just put aside the music for a moment and just try to expand the idea and the yeah. thought, you know. Where, where would this go, you know, if that was the first line of the mm-hmm. song or if it was the hook, you know, the main hook line of the chorus, you know, where would it go? So I try to sort of gather ideas, end up with a you know, sheet of paper with all sorts of jottings and 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 it may just stop there mm-hmm. uh i try to finish that song um um and then i think i bounced off one or two other writers and it mm. still didn't get anywhere <laughs> um eventually um i was spending a little time with um keith and Kristen getty mm. trying to write some songs and i had a a bunch of unfinished ideas you know and that was one of them and uh, and they really liked what they saw potentially in that. Mm. They thought they agreed with me. There's a song yeah, going to yeah. go. You know, there's a song in there somewhere. If we can dig it out, I yeah, yeah. think of it as like a, a sculptor must feel. And you've got a block of a raw block of marble, and and sees an angel in there. He's got to <laughs> just chip it out somehow. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and so we then began that long process, which happened over I don't know at least a year or maybe even longer where you know we were batting backwards and forwards ideas and and we then we came up with what we thought was probably the verse and and there was a couple of different choruses and they got thrown away and then you know and incredibly in a sense quite tedious at times <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> i'm just yeah. saying not working i'm not yeah. saying that working with keith christian <laughs> at all but um you know uh <laughs> trying to break out into fresh ideas and fresh lines um so to cut a long story short, eventually um, we uh, we finished the song. And the great thing about writing with other people is that they, you know, if they know their stuff, they don't let you go away with anything. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, know? they know their stuff, don't they? The Gettys. They, they do. Yeah. And also, you've got Kristen there, who's got to sing it. Uh-huh. So she's going to say, oh, "I can't. I don't know if I can sing that. Right. It just doesn't quite sit on my yeah. tongue." You know. And that's great too, because mm. um, you know, you got a singer's view. I, I can get a little bit too cerebral. 
and try you know I get stuck on technical correctness yeah you know um, but if it can be technically correct but if it doesn't sing mm. then it's just not going to hit the mark you know yeah. anyway so and if anyone wants to look that up it's um, you can find it on YouTube they did a very simple acoustic version which they've done on Songs of Praise and it's called My Worth Is Not In What I Own uh, so that did end up as the title yeah it did yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's there you know and eventually <laughs> finally the angel yeah. was chipped out of the block of marble wow So that's all we've got time for from Graham for this week. We've split the interview into two and we'll listen to the rest in the next episode. Um, And we're nearly at the end. Um, So next time we are going to focus on how do you develop a theme? How do you take an initial idea and pursue it to kind of expand that idea and find other things so that you can fill out a song? We hear a bit from Graham about that. And I know, Sam, you've got some good thoughts on that that we're looking forward to. Mm as always, we would love to hear from you. So on Twitter at Resound Worship or on Facebook.com slash resoundworship.org or you can email us podcast at resoundworship.org. And all that remains is our featured song. And we thought for uh, this week we should have a look at Judy's Advent song that she wrote last year. We did this Christmas album last year and um, Judy wrote this song just, I guess, just a little bit too late to get in there. Um but it's very much an Advent focus song. It's about Jesus coming and Jesus coming again. It's a really good song, and we'll play out with that. I'll see you next time. Bye. Lift up your eyes and look for him. Jesus, the coming Savior King, born to redeem the world from sin, bringing his peace to all. Now if you walk in darkest night, look for the storm that's breaking bright, nothing shall ever stop this light, bringing you hope to all. I see the King, worship the Savior, come praise Him, Jesus the Lord of all. Oh, once in a manger He lay, now lifted high He is reigning, Jesus the Lord of all. As the child of Bethlehem But the returning King to reign Glorious Lord of all Oh, lift up your eyes, see the King Worship the Savior, come praise Him Jesus, the Lord of
up your eyes and look for him Jesus the coming Savior King Now in your heart make room for him Worship him Lord of all Lift up your eyes and look for him Jesus the coming Savior King now in your heart make room for Him Worship Him Lord of all Oh, lift up your eyes, see the King Worship the Savior, come praise Him Jesus the Lord of all Oh, what's in a manger Praise Him.